Hello, hello, and welcome to Awakening Aphrodite. I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and this show is all about helping to inspire you to live a more fit, healthy, and empowered life in mind, body, and spirit, and also to help you balance your masculine and feminine energy, tap into your true source of power, your intuition, and your authentic self. Today, I am super excited. I have a really special guest for you. Strap on your seatbelts because we're going deep. We're going deep today. You know I'm all about the holistic vantage point and that mind-body-spirit connection. We're going to get into the spirit today. We're going to get into some real nuts and bolts from someone who's quite experienced in this realm. I think you're going to love his approach, love his delivery, and... Uh, Let's get into it. So I would like to introduce my guest, Nicholas Carey. He has his own podcast, which is From Ideology to Unity. And uh, he's quite an interesting individual. Uh, his podcast really goes on a journey and it covers a lot of areas that are not too mainstream yet these days for most of us. He goes into spirituality and politics and philosophy but I love that he has the holistic approach, which is essential. And uh, most importantly as well, what I love about Nicholas is he is all about finding the solutions. So yes, he wants to create one love and harmony in the world and helping people find meaning, but he's all about number one, creating solutions. And number two, he's extremely respectful and uh, open-minded to opposing viewpoints. He's not one to be dogmatic. In fact, and I, as he's going to tell us, that's really his main thing is fighting against dogma. But he's got a wonderful open-mindedness sense of considering other viewpoints, folding them into the mix, trying to make a big soup of it and make a sense of all of it together so we can find these answers together and enlighten ourselves and help humanity evolve. So enough about me trying to explain him. Let's have him try to explain him. So everyone, welcome Nicholas. Hi. Hi, everyone. Okay. So go ahead, please try to expand upon and correct my description of you and your work and your podcast and really your whole philosophy, Nicholas, would you share that with us? All right. Yeah. So when it comes to spirituality, I'm not sure how experienced I am in the sense that for a long time, I was very, very much an atheist, but I suppose I, um, I did gain insight over the years about various things like politics and, philosophy and stuff i would say that i try not to fight per se but uh it depends what you define a fight right i what you define a fight as so actually the main reason i'm so concerned with not being ideological and helping people away from dogma is that i was very dogmatic myself previously for years i sought wisdom and truth but with a sort of arrogance and with us it was a very i suppose in a way it was an overly masculine energy thing or an overly left brain thing mm -hmm. if you're aware of the whole left brain right brain thing 
And what I've learned to do is, you know, I'm seeking balance and unity now. It's in the name, right? Because a lot of there's a lot of division, things are very polarized, and a lot of unbalance. And now is a time where, as a society, it's almost like a purging of negative energy, and it's difficult. Yeah, so sometimes it's darkest before the dawn because we need to clear out all the subconscious negativity before we so we can raise our frequencies. Okay, so we got to unpack some of that because I think for probably my audience and the people listening, a lot of these terms, they can understand them, but let's just define our terms. So you mentioned a couple of things. What I'd like to hear, Nick, is your point, your perspective of, first of all, what is spirituality to you? Talk to us about what you mean by dogma. I think a lot of people might not even understand that term. So let's just define terms, spirituality, dogma, and even atheism. Right. Spirituality. So the way I view things is that have you ever heard, if you've ever heard the term mind over matter, the idea is that how do I, I need to be careful because I can overcomplicate it, can't I? So everything is, is one, it's conscious energy. So everything is, it's conscious field. And each, the way I see spirituality is that there's an infinite creator and each soul is like a little splinter of that creator, that it broke itself up into lots of little pieces so it could experience things and understand itself. So instead of there's an old man in the sky external to it all that created reality, it's more like the creator put itself into lots of little pieces into everything if that makes any sense. And we, so we are in a sense, part of the creator. And through our experiences, there's also this idea of as above, so below, the semantic principle where, oh, I'm getting all, <laughs> I'm getting all wordy again, aren't I? Yeah, we, the same patterns kind of repeat themselves over time and in space, but in different ways. In a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Is that enough, or would you like me to elaborate more? No, I think that that's uh, that's powerful. You mentioned mind over matter, which I know is an expression. So, taking one at a time and trying to wrap our brains around a common definition of spirituality, and I totally subscribe to the same idea I didn't, that we I didn't are- really answer your question, did I? Well, you did. And don't worry, we're going to circle back to it because there's a, you're saying a lot in what you're saying. So, um, but I do agree that there's a divine spark in all of us and that we're all from ultimately the same source in that unity consciousness. Um, 
And I do, if you have more to say about your definition of spirituality, yeah. I, might, I might lead you into how is it different than the mind? Because you mentioned mind over matter as the beginning of your definition. Okay, so it depends on what you mean by the mind, because it's not the perfect word for it. Because the mind is often used to refer to the ego in this life, which isn't the same as our infinite, as our soul, our eternal soul. So the principle used in terms of when people say mind over matter, what they mean is the we create our own reality through our our thoughts, our feelings, and our manifestation. It's a through the uh, if you've ever heard the law of attraction, that's part of it. Though I'm using terms again, so. Yeah, so it needs to be simple about this. Yeah, so spirit. Spirit, the soul, it's all about the soul because everything is one connected soul and yet many. The one and the many are unified as a whole. So, so it's the one spirit and the many spirits or souls. And spirituality, it relates to the spirit. So in a sense, everything. Okay. So, um, all right. And I do, I want to unpack that a little bit more even because you mentioned the law of attraction, which is this principle or concept that a lot of, you know, I'd say lay people, you know, kind of common in, in culture these days is it was popularized years ago, like on the Oprah show and that, that movie that came out. But I'm curious to know what you would have to say to the person going, you know what, this is such BS, because if the law of attraction was true, I would have everything I want. I do want these things. I work hard for this. I want a good body. I want to be healthy. I want to have money in the bank. I want this. I want that. I do really want it. I'm saying I want to attract it, but I don't have it. So when people like Nicholas Carey and Amy Fournier and these other people tell me that you know, we are ultimately creating our reality and that there is this universal principle called the law of attraction. It's not true. It doesn't work for me. So how can you explain that? And where do we have proof of it being true? Do you create what you want or do you create what your vibration is at? So we the idea is really that we have a certain everything is energy and vibration and frequency this is what nikola tesla the great inventor said and that we didn't say that verbatim but yeah and that our energetic frequency this could this is um in fact you you could relate it to oh if i go into string theory that really won't help (laughs) so we we have we have an energetic frequency. And so the, the rate at which that vibrates determines low frequency emotions. And emotion at a low frequency would be, for example, hate or hopelessness or you know, despair or fear, especially, right? Or whereas love, joy, and the like are very 
high frequency emotions and there's a whole scale of it i suppose and depending on what emotional state you have affects what you're attracting to your life so if you're very afraid of certain things you will attract those things to you if you're whereas you know if you're not at all afraid of if you've managed to let go of what you're afraid of you will find great joy and abundance of love because that will be what's internal to you so this principle this old ancient principle is it's related to something called hermetics but i'm not going to go into that right now as within so without as without so within it's similar to the as above so below as below so above the idea is that your outer world reflects your inner world your inner psychological world is ultimately what determines the outer reality and that we all do this it's our so we shape our reality but it isn't what we want it's what we are it's a reflection of our state in the present if we change our step mental state our psychological state the term psyche is relevant here and also also uh i forgot the term but yeah psychological sort of yeah it's very much is related to psyche affecting how it is so yeah i was gonna say something else but i feel like i've explained it well enough okay so what i'm hearing you say is we have to get on the frequency of the vibration if you will of the things that we want if, if we want to attract more health we have to bring health into our energy field and that make that feeling familiar in order to resonate more with it Yes. Are you familiar with the book Power Versus Force by David Hawkins? Yes, but I haven't read it. Okay, you I'm have probably... got to read that because it's exactly what you're seeing. It actually is scientific evidence, the whole book, and there's gazillions of books on this topic nowadays, but it's one of the originals and the classics on showing the different vibrational frequencies of emotions. Does it relate and to water memory? That's, uh, what's his name, uh, Emo, yeah, as a motto, uh, uh, yeah. messages from the water. So it relates to that, obviously. It totally does. But this actually shows you the scale. I actually have it right over there in my office. I've seen the scale. It, sorry? I've seen the scale. Yes. Yeah. And it's, so, it's to your point that vibration and joy and love and all that actually vibrates differently in the body. Um, and of course, if you label like uh, some water with different emotions, if you put different emotions into it, you'll get different things so actually, do you know about it um you could actually yeah it really does affect the the net what the crystals look like they actually tested it before and after now i you can i suppose you could look it up if uh the name of the scientist and everything and see for yourself it really is remarkable i've seen some pictures of the different emotions how it interacts and think about it if 
if it does that to crystals, imagine what it does to us and everything. So your interactions with other people, your or everything in life really does depend on the energetic and emotional frequency because emotions are energetic. They're like waves that come over you. If you've ever, you might, you may well have felt it. If suddenly something triggers anger in you, suddenly, but out of nowhere, this rage washes over you. You don't necessarily know why, right? And it washes over you. Now it might be released out of you or it might be repressed. It depends how you deal with it. Uh, if you let it flow out, that's generally, I would say, a healthier way that, to deal with it. That's what I've experienced. But, yeah, so it's felt, it will feel like a wave because it it is energy. And it, the, the frequency it will have matches different, well, there's different frequencies and what frequency we're at determines what we get because the inner and the outer mirror it's called the mirror effect the outer world mirrors are inner selves well it's interesting you know have you heard of that famous uh kitten study where they uh took a two litters of well one litter of kit kittens and they split them up into two separate groups and tested them one group grew up only seeing vertical lines everything in the kitten's world everything was only vertical whatever objects were in their area for months and months and months until they were grown cats in the second group they gave only horizontal lines the, the whole environment of these kittens everything was only horizontal no vertical and what they found was when the kittens grew up to be full cats and they put them out in the normal world the kittens that grew up with only horizontal lines couldn't see vertical lines. They, they, same biology, same litter. They couldn't see any of the opposite lines they grew up from. They literally would run into things because they couldn't see them and vice versa. The ones that grew up with the horizontal, think of the vertical. Oh, that's sad though. But Yeah, well, you know, welcome to science, right? Testing on animals. But the point is, is that there's, multiple studies of this nature but that is kind of a famous one i think it's actually called if people want to look it up the vertical kitten study vertical line study or something of that nature i guess i could research exactly the details but you get the point that it's quite interesting um so why don't we get into that a little bit i'd love to know what you think about uh what would you say is the difference between absolute reality and our perceived reality Right. So there's this idea of the holographic principle. Now, it sounds really complicated, but essentially, relating to what we have just talked about so far, if we create our own reality, then you could describe what we see as the physical reality as the hologram and the true reality as the divine aspect of things. So there's different levels of reality. At this level, we, we only see like this one, a very few amount of wavelengths of light, right? 
Whereas there's all these aspects of energy that we don't see with our eyes. We need equipment to, to access it. And there's only, that's based on our current technology. So there's this huge array of, well, reality that we don't even discern. So there's a, there's a filter in our brain where, to make sense of it. So it is in a sense real since it's part of reality because everything is part of reality in a sense. But at the same time, it's not, it's a part of a reality that is created by God or the source of creation, which is us, or at least we're part of it. Think of it like a flame. We've got a spark within us, but there are some beings out there that have a flame within them. Some, some are dim, some are bright, and it's just a relative thing. And based on that, reality is created from that. And you're asking about what's real reality and what's true reality. I suppose the absolute laws, including the law of attraction, the law of vibration and such, are the true reality. And the divine, I'm going to be careful to avoid certain terms. I could say the divine logos, but people won't know what that is necessarily. So, yeah, so there's the fundamental laws of reality. And then there's, within those brackets, there's everything that is created, is created using God power. And we have some of that God power because we're part of the overall whole of God, in a sense. That's the pantheism sort of idea that we are a little splinter of the creator. I think that answers it. Yes. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, I warned you, uh, my friends, this, I told you it was going to be deep. It's going to be a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but geez, I mean, Nick, Nicholas, I'm sure you're the first to agree. This is so important because we have to remember that what we perceive as quote unquote truth and quote unquote reality and quote unquote the way it is, is not always accurate. Right. We now, have to just even have that concept in our head to even know that what I think is reality might not even be what is objectively reality. It's my perception of reality. That idea alone is super powerful and life-changing. Right. So, the real objective laws about reality are basically how reality is, the rest of reality is created. But I suppose what is created exists. Otherwise, the course say it's created wouldn't be meaningful otherwise. That's the way I see it. Now, you could say it's not real, it's holographic, but why would we bother creating it in the first place if you weren't creating anything real? So the way I see it, there's a sort of subjective reality that still exists or relative. It's There's the reality we shape around us. And then there's the the laws of reality that determine how that happens. So yes and no, it's not as clear cut as 
no it's not as clear as, as there's objective reality and then there's illusion not as clear cut right hmm. okay well um if we if we just take a breath from that and just kind of pivot a little bit I would really love for you to share with my audience your perspective on, you mentioned on one of your shows, which is I've heard before, which is quite true, that the uh, scientists of today have become the priests of our culture. Right. So would you please explain to uh, my audience a little bit how that is true? How are cultural norm of science, if you will, and the scientific process and all the studies and research and things that we then base our cultural beliefs and programming on is perhaps skewed or how that system affects our reality. Well, at least in this age, it might change in the future. For a long time, people look to figures of authority to, to find what the truth is and how the truth is determined, what process we get the truth by. So it used to be, well, Catholic priests in the West. I mean, there's priests all over the world for, since time, well, for a long time, right? So the priests and themselves have a hierarchy they determine, they tell you what the God's will or the God's teachings are. And it's passed down through tradition and it's interpreted by them. And you don't know, since you're not initiated into the divine teachings, you're not, you're just a peasant or you, even if you're king, you're not, yeah, you're not, you, you don't have that, the knowledge is um, not accessible easily to you, right? It might even be that you don't even right know the language of the religion. And you might not know, you know, the different ways of getting in touch with the spiritual side of things. For example, I mean, there were some priests over, over a long time that have actually used hallucinogens. So, you, you know, there's various ways in which it would be exclusive and people look up to the authority figures as they tell us what to believe. We believe it. We. Now, it might seem like we've moved past that since we have science and now, science has been very helpful for us. But all systems of thought are basically there's something called epistemology. Now, what it is, is basically how we find out what's true or how we get to truth. And there's different theories about how we get there. Uh, medieval Europe had its own theory. It comes from God, right, essentially. And we just sort of, yeah, so it comes from God. Currently, it's that there's a scientific method and we work out what's true by trying to prove wrong. We try to prove a hypothesis wrong and if it passes through that testing process, we consider it scientifically scientific fact until 
something else comes along. Now, that works fine up to a point. It doesn't necessarily account for things that are outside of that process. For example, intuition is very powerful and the law of attraction is very powerful and science doesn't account for it. Maybe some fringe science does that, but it's not taken seriously, unfortunately, because it's outside of a very materialistic perspective. Science has become very, ever since the Enlightenment, it increasingly became very much tied to, well, materialism, an atheistic kind of perspective. Even if scientists themselves aren't atheistic, well, if you can't prove the spiritual, they say, you know, it's, we can't really, it's just a irrational faith, right? That, that's the perspective. And also with corporations, like there's a whole process of lobbying and financing of research that kind of distorts the process. So now we've got to a point where the authority of science and objective truth, that's all rigorous, is there in mainstream science, but doesn't necessarily, the reality of it doesn't necessarily match it. So we're being told what to believe. And if you question it, you're kooky, you're crazy, you're just irrational, or maybe even dangerous because you're spreading ideas of, you know, those, we don't want to go back to the Crusades, right? We got to have just all these backwards traditions oppressing people. So I guess you just have to believe what the scientists say, right? And if we do that, we're not thinking for ourselves. And then there's the whole issue of how left brain focused it is. And uh, I guess I can, ex I can explore that a bit more when Amy feels it's time to. Well, let's hear it. I'd love to hear it. I love the track you're going on because what you're saying is, is how organized religion, I mean, centuries ago with cultures, they didn't obviously have organized religion because people directly experienced God, unity, source, nature, all that is for themselves. Originally, and it was more shamans, right? What's that? Shamans. Now, it's Jamans. interesting that... Shamans? Yeah. Yeah. Right. What sort of... What more spiritual... So, shame, shamans are known to be in the scientific community schizophrenics because they see things that aren't there they see spirits they see especially if they take psychedelics but well you know they, they see things that supposedly aren't there well yeah yeah i just have to interject aren't there just because if you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there and that's what happened was they were labeled as schizophrenics because the person observing them couldn't see it but that doesn't mean it's not there right, right. That it's, said, like, though, it's like back to our kittens, just because they couldn't see vertical lines didn't mean they weren't there. And it goes back to our, con our yes. concept, of, right? That's Because we are in this 3D, we've got this 3C in the world of 3D, right? But there's more dimensions than we can see. So if something seems like it's coming out of nowhere, it's not. That's, or you might not, we've got a filter, we might not see it until we've got the vibration to see it. Yes. No, I uh, forgot what the other thing I was saying. <laughs> Where were we? Well, okay, yes, I'm sorry. I, I was my That's fault. Right. I just I just had to kind of 
bring that point home for people, kind of circle it back that um, I mentioned how organized religion is took the place of people directly experiencing right. God or source, if you will. Yes. And, so yep. I will say that when it was more tribal, there was an authority figure in Zabal as a shaman. I won't go as for as I said, schizophrenics, I suppose as with, you know, if there's energy frequency, if they're experiencing negative things, that might be if they're in a negative place. But then scientists or mainstream psychology will look at that and be like, well, they're imagining all this negative stuff and they're clearly troubled. We need to heal it with medication. But that's a, I don't know to go on a tangent there. So often we look up to authority, but at the same time, it wasn't as structured. It wasn't as organized. And so people had more of a direct experience. The more organized it became, the less autonomy we had in the process. And the more we had to just, we were just going with what we're told. And science is a very structured process. I mean, there are some, some in politics even call academia as a whole these days, the church or yeah, I don't know if actually the church, I'm not sure if that's the exact phrase used, but essentially, yeah, it's um, if you question what the mainstream science says, science says, or academia says, you know, you're crazy or dangerous or something, right? And the same, it, if you look at the way it works in terms of authority and how structured it is, and what happens if you question it, you get essentially excommunicated or at least socially ridiculed. I mean, you might not get hung, drawn and quartered. Well, at least not literally. <laughs> but, you know, it's not exactly... If you look at the process, it's actually the role in society. Isn't it the same? They, they are the ones who determine what is true and how we get there. And they ultimately serve... They ultimately serving uh, the political elites, right? Well, yes. And so on that note, how would you explain the, I think it's called the Heisenberg principle, the uncertainty principle of how someone testing something or a scientist, if you will, there's inherently a problem with our scientific process in, in conducting studies because it's been proven that the testor cannot remove themselves from the test. The tester is part of the results. The tester person affects the results. There's no, where's the objectivity? Where's the subjectivity? Science is always touting itself as, oh, you got to be objective. You got to be objective. But inherently, there's a problem with that because that is virtually impossible based on the law of uncertainty that once you are involved in something, you are resonating with it and therefore you are affecting it whether you're attempting to or not. Right. So this relates to, yeah, the, the, the link between science, especially quantum physics and string theory and uh, mysticism, essentially. So you might have heard of Scrodinger's cat. Scrodinger's cat. So the principle is there's a, there's a cat in a box. 
but if you open the box and it's you don't know if it's alive and dead but if you open it and it's alive it will die and by the time you see it it'll be dead and so you will never know if it's alive or dead in well right that's a principle and that represents our interference in the process but it's not there's two possibilities alive or dead but rather a whole set of possibilities maybe infinite possibilities and we are, because we're involved in the quant- in quantum stuff, when we, well, at least when we're observing it, when we're observing it, we could see it's, it's the idea that you can see where it is, or we can see its momentum. But we can't see both. It depends what we're looking at. And so. We, um, pardon me, the interference in the process means that, let me clear my head, so. You're talking about how the, the scientist or the person conducting a study cannot inherently remain objective because they are part of the outcome just because they're in it. Yeah. So, pardon me, let me just get out a book here that clarifies it in a bit more. Oh, great. Okay, um, Please just make sure you share with us what book you're reading from. All right, so this book is Living the Law of One, 101 The Choice by Carla L. Brookhart. Right. which basically summarizes my spirituality. One of its names is the law of one. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning part of it, there's this excerpt or there's, there's a section which describes the sci- a scientific way of looking at it. So a way you can make sense of it scientifically. And unfortunately, I went a little bit blank. But. All right. So, so there's this idea of there's a separation between the observer and the observed. Now, if we if we affect the it by observing it, then well that that's not true. So as it's like you said that the fundamental uh, idea that we're objective observers that's not there. Now the next step is in quantum physics, there's this idea of string theory. So how do we explain the fact that we interfere with the results? Well, there's this idea that there's, if you look at the idea in string theory, that there's strings. Okay, so let's think about particles, right? So we've got atoms. Atoms are made out of neutrons, which are neutrally charged, Protons. Protons are positively charged and electrons are negatively charged, which are flying around it. If you go below that, you get quarks. And like a new for example, a neutron is based on a quark that's positive and a quark that's negative that mm. combine to make it neutral. That's just one example. I, I'm not going to go into nuts and bolts of it. But what affects quarks? The idea is one idea in quantum physics is the art of string theory. 
And the idea is there are these loops of oscillating strings and they're vibrating. And when they're excited in different ways, vibrating together, maybe they make chords. So the idea that reality is with all this energy, it's musical in a sense. And in fact, this is a really interesting metaphor, a symbolism in the Lord in the Silmarillion in the Lord of the Rings prequel, which kind of it suggests that he knew something, or at least he was something was coming through that he wasn't necessarily aware of. But the idea that ah, oh, this is a little bit of a temp. Essentially, there was this grand harmony of the gods, but one of them decided that he wanted to, to make his own, to, to set, do things his own way. So he started putting his own chords into there and experimenting all this different stuff, discordant chords that didn't. So it messed up, it kind of messed with the whole overall harmony or the old energy frequency of the whole thing. And then from that point onwards, things started going downhill. I won't go into details. Well, in any case, so, so the different vibrations, they affect reality in different ways, according to string theory, they determine what the, uh, what happens with the atoms and stuff. So this sounds a bit like mysticism and the idea of the law of attraction. The main difference is they say, they talk about, you know, the, the cat, the Schrodinger's cat, where it's either alive or dead. That's a representation of something called superposition. Superposition in quantum physics is that before you observe it, it's got all, it's all the different possibilities at once. Mm. When you observe it, it collapses randomly into one of them. The difference is that according to the law of one, it's what if instead our conscious, if our consciousness determines reality, which evidence shows that, what if instead it's the, it's not random, but based on consciousness and frequency and vibration, which possibility happens? So you attract the possibilities based on where internally your vibration is, your energy, what emotions your state you have, and that will determine which possibility happens. Then there's a multiple universe theory. So there's different timelines, maybe, you know, some quantum physics. No, it's in sci-fi, this idea. You can get it in like Rick and Morty, right? So which timeline are you in? That might depend on your emotional state, and what happens in your life will be kind of a timeline based on your emotional state over time. I know this sounds wacky, but it connects together, right? Totally. It actually goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the episode. But yeah, and that's you're great. Getting back what you're putting out there, you're resonating with it and you're influencing it. And you're just getting into the weeds for us on, you know, the, the quantum physics theories behind this showing that this is actually true. <laughs> All right. There's something I'd like to go into though. And it's, um, it's about masculine and feminine energies. Perfect. Right. So there's this idea that, where do I start? All right. So back in, uh, Catholic Europe back in uh, medieval times. The way darkness and evil was treated was as an external force, Satan, 
Lucifer, etc., that tempts you into doing evil. That you're inherently pure and you're tempted to do evil by external things. Whereas actually, in my perspective, I'd say that all if, if all is one, that applies to us. So we have the potential for all the fullest extent of light and the fullest extent of dark within us. So, so there's this idea that, so actually we have the potential, yeah, we have the potential to do it ourselves and we are responsible for what we manifest, which emotional states we manifest. The emotional states of hate and fear are... I suppose you can compare that to darkness or evil. I mean, evil isn't in the way it's often thought of is not quite accurate, but, and that of the light, you know, love and joy, you know, there's this idea in the law of one of love light, the idea that love and light are fundamentally intertwined. And that even that truth and wisdom are linked with light as well. Whereas deception and being dishonest with yourself and ignorance might be seen as darkness and that, yeah, they might be seen as darkness. So, and this is a theme in hermetic ideas as well. And hermetic ideas have been around for a long time and essentially are pointing at the same thing that the law of one is pointing at. I won't go into details, but it relates to what's well, something called the Emerald Tablets. Anyway, so many of Europe, there's this, that's the backdrop. Now, then there was the Enlightenment. What happened with the Enlightenment is that, well, at the beginning, a lot of the, the monks went into all these monasteries. It got to a point, though, that all the, the scientific... We became more... Actually... So actually, if I go backtrack even more, there's been some tendency since for a long time of the, the idea of masculine gods, right? These sky, masculine sky gods. Before that, there might be more maternalistic societies, but this idea that- Well, there were. Right. They so were originally female. Created, it's masculine versus female. Yeah, it's masculine idea of creation and that nature is to be tamed by the masculine forces of creation. Whereas previously it was that nature is the divine, which is actually closer to the reality of it in terms of the law of one. And so the whole imbalance in society was much more of a masculine energy, was subordinating the feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And that's an imbalance, which means that well, our brains have a sort of masculine and feminine part of us, right? I mean, research has been found that, for example, men are more likely to have relatively more activity in the left brain part of their brain, and men and women more in the right part of the brain. Our creative, artistic people are more activity in the right part of the brain. Very logical, not sorry, more... If you get, whereas if you get like a, an architect or an engineer, they'd, they'd have this, especially scientists in general would have more activation in the left brain. So the left brain is to do with much more structured and logical, but doesn't necessarily see the same big picture. It's detail orientated. By the way, this is something that people on the spectrum are more likely to have. They're, 
Simon Baron Cohen has um, a scientist has actually found that he said in a way that autists have a kind of masculine brain. Anyway, a more masculine brain. But obviously there's interconnections between left brain and right brain. And the more interconnected it is, the more balanced it is. But I'm jumping ahead of myself, right? So what happened with the enlightenment and science is increasingly how we get to truth became much more of a secular thing. And we became more and more out of touch with the creative artistic side of ourselves the more we came out of touch with faith and spirituality because even though christianity was flawed at least we had access to the parts of our mind that are not so much logical but more creative and flowing and feminine energies right so we got out of touch with our feminine energies even women have got relatively out of touch with the feminine energies and men have got out of touch with their feminine side as well. What happens when you don't have an outlet for those that energy? Some of it's negative. Some of it's negative energy that we need to release in a healthy, with a healthy outlet. A lot of it relates to archetypes, but I won't go into it too much because time, I suppose. So there's basically a lot of psychological content. Psychological content. We're not having a healthy outlet for it, and the people aren't doing enough art. What happens when you repress things? Well, they stay beneath the surface and you, and they come up in unhealthy ways. You create the shadow. Yes, and that's projection. And what, it means that you get a buildup of shadow and the shadow controls you more. That's what projection is. You see in other people and the outside world, you see, mm. you see darkness and evil, but you don't see it in yourself. You only see it out there. Because what... And you know those are triggers for you when you get emotional about them. Right, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and this happens more when people repress more. And if people have a much more masculine energy dominating or left brain dominating more, become, become more left brain orientated, it's quite unhealthy. It's quite neurotic. What happens when a whole nation becomes like that. Well, Carl Jung, the psychologist, was trying to understand this. And he looked at Europe, he looked at the West, he was told when he went to the West Native Americans that they thought that Westerners were crazy. We had this manic look on our eyes, right? And essentially, because we're much more scientific, much more masculine energy orientated than the rest of the world at the time, Nowhere was this more prominent than Germany. They, they, they used, the chemical industry was highly, was highly built up. They had, I mean, the, the Blitzkrieg was done with soldiers high on vitamins or something, right? There was very, well, there's a scientific way of doing it and an ordered scientific society, but that kind of, it didn't, even their art was a bit, actually, I'm not going to do that. I can't back that up. Essentially, they, they were oppressing even more. They, the Jews or other groups were seen as, it's like a straw man, right? Or a, a boogeyman. Like, you see, you see the darkness in them. You're not looking at yourself. They were doing it more so. It's more pronounced than the Nazis, right? 
And that kind of explains, and the Germans, even before the Nazis, that's why they voted for Hitler. And when they were, they were resentful after World War I, they, they were more vulnerable to being manipulated. What happens if 80 years later or so, this secularization becomes more intense? Globalization spreads westernization across the whole world. This mental state of the Weimar Republic, therefore, becomes the norm across the world. It's not uniform everywhere. But can you see the problem in our current society? It's so, it's unbalanced. It's out of whack, right? Uh, you even get to the point where, you know, uh, when might, women might start to, they feel like they have to, to be equal. They have to go out they might start copying masculinity to try to compete but that's not necessarily good for them but I, i'm not it's not really i'm not i don't really want to be like well what you're saying is yeah. they feel like they can't beat them join them so kind of be more like them which is exactly correct i would totally agree that's exactly what has happened with a lot of women in our culture is we have had a obviously masculine dominant culture, particularly in America. And women have identified primarily with their masculine sense and energy in order to compete and be uh, approved of because right. qualities such as production, being busy, be producing things, contributing, being effective, getting things done, goal setting, accomplishing these are all you know traditionally masculine qualities which are very wonderful qualities but the problem comes when they are not balanced with the flip side of that and so to your point uh, yes that's exactly what's been happening yeah. so how do you feel um so coming back to your show and everything that you're about and your work is ultimately to bring try to bring unity to the world so we're, we're right. talking about unifying yeah the masculine and the feminine not that one is better than the other or or nothing of that nature but bring them together in a healthy balance where there's a dance between the two so and, and how would you say we can do that in our and how did you do that in yourself you mentioned that you grew up kind of traditionally a little more in touch with your feminine and you've since developed more of your own masculine in your attempt to become more balanced and unified so how would you help us who are also trying to be more balanced what would you say for those people men or women that are a little too masculinized how can they become more feminine in, in their nature well i suppose obviously as you said there are some people who are actually they're not as what I wouldn't say is it's like it's not like being more feminine makes you less masculine or more masculine makes you less feminine I don't see it that way I see them like as it's more are they in balance um, and someone can be you get some people who are very much more right brain focused but they actually might be lacking a left brain focus so essentially, there are some people, even in our society, there are some people who might be actually have an imbalance in favor of feminine energy. So the picture I've been painting isn't, might be a little bit oversimplistic, but I would say that that represents part of the trend. Okay, so the problem is, 
with all that repression, due to the left brain imbalance, the right brain part of us, or the, the more creative free-flowing part of us, might have more of our darkness not let out in a healthy way, so it comes out in an unhealthy way. This manifests in ideology. Different people adopt different ideologies to cope with reality or to make sense of the world. And so the whole imbalance is why we've got such a problem of people being so dramatic and blinkered. So it says, it tells me that if we really want to hear that part of it comes down to solving that imbalance. One of the things we can do is art and or creative expression. So what do we love to do? What makes us feel alive? What yeah, what, what gives us brings out the love energy within us when we do it or the passion? Because if we're not doing things that make us passionate, we might that aspect of things like I would say it's a more feminine energy in a sense because nature is in a sense feminine and so yeah it it comes down to finding a way of being in touch with that love and creation now it could be poetry it could be painting it could be podcasting in my case it it is podcasting, although I might want to, I do want to go into other forms of art as well. You can find it by, you search for where, what resonates. You have to feel it out. I can't tell you what it, what it is in your case, but it tends to be, it doesn't seem to tend to be so structured necessarily i mean it can have you can do it in a structured way but there's this idea in taoism of go with the flow go of go with the flow of the way right so be like water or there's this idea of this there's a tree and there's a blade of grass and the tree's like oh, i'm way stronger than you right and the blade of grass is like okay if you say so then the storm comes along right because the tree is like, well, the wind isn't even moving, right? So the storm comes along, the, tr the tree is blown over. And, and so the blade of grass, which is suspended with the wind, was like, well, not so strong now, are you? Love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't come up with it. Well, it's my adaption of the story. <laughs> you could have told us you did. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah, so... That is more of a feminine energy thing, this adaption. And fundamentally, it has to feel right to you. And you, only you know that. But you need to listen to the inner voice. Not this loud thought process of rustling on in your head. That, that's your ego. Now, I, I have issues with my ego as well. It, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't suddenly... You can, actually, but it, it's unlikely. Eckhart Tolle had that one. Overnight, suddenly, he had ego death on ego death but generally speaking listen to meditate if you meditate or go on a nice walk or whatever whatever the situation you can the inner voice what resonates with you you, you can find that yourself and if you do your 
creation. When you're creating, you're being a creator. You're doing the work of God. It's divine. And you feel the love of what you're doing. You feel alive when you're doing it because creating is what you're, I want to say what you're born to do. It's what you, it's inherent to who you are because we're all sparks of the infinite creator, right? That's why it's so fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. And you, when you're a child and you played these games, it was very creative and you enjoyed it. You loved it, right? But we learn, oh, as we were taught in our society, oh, we need to be really mature and adult and do all things in a structured way. Be sensible, be logical, be practical. Not that those things don't have value in balance. But do you remember now, if you had a sad childhood, I, I, that would be, you know, I, I, I sympathize, right? But nevertheless, that free, playful, aspect of things no we can remember what it's like and this is anyway so art creation that's that helps us rebalance things another thing is inner work or shadow work or there's other words for it it's essentially is emotions come up you might be tempting because they're unpleasant, but like to stuff it back down again to ignore it, or you distract yourself with alcohol or whatever, right? And that's why, and yeah, often people who have gone through trauma are more likely to do that, understandably, because it's painful to deal with. But it doesn't really help us. It just means we manifest unhealthily, we start snapping at people or whatever. There's different ways we deal with that subconsciously. However, if we allow ourselves to feel it, it's a, that's a bravery thing because we might be afraid of that. But dwelling in fear is obviously not, that's a low vibration and that attracts what we're afraid of in the external world. So yeah, if we can actually we let ourselves feel it when it comes up, let it wash over you and out of you, like the energy it is, and because otherwise it would just be blocking up your chakras, your energy centers. But we, I need not go into that necessarily. Let it flow out, you know, out of you. And um, then you can reflect on, on it. And that way it's not like pent up inside you and in your subconscious. That's actually, you'll get lighter. And think of it like awakening is almost like letting go of that doesn't serve, letting go of that darkness and becoming more of a light buoyant being that rises in frequency rises up and becomes conscious of more and more and that's awakening and at a certain point there's tipping point where with this awakening it's like another level of reality if that makes sense it sure does and uh, so what i'm hearing you saying is that you know we have to in order to be enlightened and light in literally and figuratively, we have to, instead of resisting and trying to push down the things that are uncomfortable to us, we have to go ahead and bring them into the light, to bring them out of the shadow and have the courage to go into them 
and flow with them to let them then pass through us and don't, therefore they don't get stuck in us because when we resist, you know, the saying with that, which you resist persists. So what we resist, literally, it's like putting a stamp on it and getting it stuck right in your energy field. And rather than doing that, like you actually, I know had done personally in your in your life, when you had the dark night of the soul period in your life some time ago, and you addressed your demons, you had to go right into your pain and confront it and pull it out in the open, bring it out of the shadow and be vulnerable with it, surrender to it, learn from it. And then what do you know? You found out as has as have millions of other souls that once you brought it out of the shadow, it was the wizard behind the green curtain that was, yeah. you know, pulling all the strings and, you know, the, cranking the cords and he wasn't real. It wasn't real. And it, what do you know, dissolved. And then you moved past it. And now here you are wiser, stronger, happier. Right. But it wasn't an easy process. It. I wasn't like wisely, sagely. So, ah, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I see these ugly. negative emotions. Let me understand it and yeah. deal with it rationally. You know, no, I was like, what Very on earth is happening to me? Yeah, yeah, Why? Yeah. So, I mean, I, we, I paid I'm glad you said that. Like, so oh, true. Wise or whatever. Like, and if I come off well, it's because I've gone through this. But beforehand, I wasn't this yeah. well-adjusted person. That makes and two if, of us. If yeah. you're not well-adjusted, it won't be easy because nothing worth doing and when, is, going, really. and when you're going through it, it's messy. I mean, we're talking about it now at the other end of it, but when we're in it, if for anybody that's listening, that's in it, yeah, it, you're a train wreck. You're a hot mess. It's a disaster. You're, you don't know if you're coming or going. And you, so I'm glad you made that point. Very true. When you're in it, it's messy and scary and painful and horrible and all that kind of stuff. But way to go high fives for being in it. Because when you don't allow yourself to go into it, when you repress it, it will never leave you. Right. And you need to go into the darkness to find you know, to, to find the light. And think about it like, actually, think about that like Pokemon. You remember those cave systems in Pokemon? You get all these Zubats and everything, Onyxes coming at you. But eventually, you get to the exit and you get to the light at the end of the tunnel and mm. you're out. And all of a sudden, it just appears. Yep. Love it. Nick, this has been uh, amazing. I definitely want to have you back for a part two. I've got about another three pages of questions and <laughs> topics I wanted yeah. to tap into your wisdom on. And uh, wow, you've got a lot to share with us. Um, but before we wrap up, can you uh, well definitely tell us where people can find out more about you? Tell us about your podcast. And if there are any other closing points you'd like to make. Ooh to say well where to find me would be on anchor.fm there's from ideology to unity i'm also on apple podcasts and google podcasts breaker and a number of others i'll spotify too um on facebook i have a page from ideology to unity all the same name generally it, it helps so Facebook isn't isn't where actually isn't where I put the podcast, but I'm going to put other stuff there related to it. So yeah, 
Um, anything I want to add? All is one. As above, so below, all of that. There's some really interesting stuff. If you want to know more about what I'm referring to, okay. there's the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. Hmm. That's interesting. The Emerald Tablet of Thoth the Atlantean. So this is very out there stuff. This is almost like ancient astronaut theory stuff. You Ooh. know, like ancient aliens isn't as crazy as it sounds. or It's just put in a very entertaining way, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it's definitely eye-opening. You know, it's... Because when you combine spirituality and aliens, it gets real crazy compared to the mainstream, but it's fun. Uh, oh, here's some advice. Here's some advice. When you get into this stuff, you might come across negativity. This when it comes to conspiracy theories and yes. other stuff. Now, you're aware of what David Icke talks about, reptilians yes. and all that. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's right or wrong. The thing is, positive vibes, right? So unless it's part of your shadow work, maybe that's one way to do it. But generally speaking, you don't want to dwell too much on that because then you're not attracting negativity. So you don't, when you deal with negativity, I mean, you don't want to overwhelm yourself, but you don't want to hold back too much either. So good advice. All so things in balance. Stuff. Baby steps, be compassionate, stay open-minded, stay grounded on the earth, but keep your heart in the skies. Oh, and of course, what helped me was I surrendered to the process. I stopped trying to control the outcome. Right. I accepted, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know when I'm going to die. No one ever does. The belief that we're going to, the belief that we do know is an illusion. We don't, we just think we do. We still don't know. <laughs> so once you accept reality as it is, acceptance is the key because then you can you can empathize better, you can understand things better with a broader perspective, and things start lining up with synchronicity because you're not under you're not tripping yourself up anymore. Yeah, getting out of the way. You start creating a reality for yourself that's much more harmonious, much more pleasant. Because ultimately, you've been creating an unpleasant reality for yourself. It's about learning how to create in a way that works for yourself and others. And learning and allowing the co-creation, that you're not yes. the one driving the ship, but instead bringing a co-pilot along with you with the divine, ultimately loving source that has your best interest at heart. So you're not the only one driving anymore, and you're co-creating. And we're in a society... And we all can co-create with each other too. And that may yeah. well make a much brighter society, right? That is the idea, my friend. Well, I feel like we could go on for hours and hours and hours. And like I said, I would love to have you back on the show. Would you be willing to come back to Awaken? Oh, absolutely. Everybody? Yeah. Okay. This is really, truly, I feel like I want you to be my friend offline. <laughs> we can just. Oh, talk. sure. Just if you want to talk to me, just like say hi. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, we have a lot to talk about. And it's, it's just, you know, I believe that that's a big part of why podcasts are becoming so popular because it's enabling people to find like-minded people and connect with other people and find their tribe. And even if it's digital and you're in London, right? 
Uh, near London, yeah. Um, okay. Well, you're in England. Just so... out of London, to the west. Okay. Yeah. You're I will say one the... thing. Be careful the tribe thing, because the real tribe is humanity, right? Oh, And then okay, there's the yes. whole universe tribe, but yeah. Thank you. Very important point. That is for, for sure, and all of life for that matter. But I'm just trying to say that... Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, here, here you are across the pond and we're, we're able to connect and we have to find people that, you know, our environment and our emotional, spiritual health is a critical ingredient, if you will, of the salad of life. And, you know, just as important as exercising and, and eating well and getting fresh air and sunshine and the people and the environment and the thoughts that you put in your head, which is a big reason why I wanted you on the show, because we have to think of these bigger pictures and, and examine our beliefs. We have to examine, how did I get this belief in my head? How do I know this is true? What I think something is fact and based on quote unquote science, you have to question all of it because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And the more you realize that, you know, you're like we mentioned in the beginning of the, of the show, you know, your perception is not necessarily always the ultimate reality and that there's more to pictures and there's always room for growth. So Nicholas Carey, thank you so much. The From Ideology to Unity podcast, guys, check it out. Nicholas, thank you so very much. It was a pleasure. Okay. And thanks everybody. If you enjoyed the show, let me know if you want to hear more from Nicholas or have follow-up questions for our part two of our, uh, of our show together, go ahead and email them to me at amy at amyfournier.com, which will be in my show notes. If you don't know how the heck to spell that. And I will definitely ask Nicholas for you. And don't forget, you can actually ask, ask him yourself by checking out his podcast, but we just want to create you know, all of us together, we're in this together. I want you guys listening to be a part of this and for us to go on this journey together as we proceed from here. So thanks again for listening. Please go ahead and subscribe and rate and review the show. And don't forget to check out Nicholas in From Ideology to Unity podcast. Nicholas, thank you so much, my friend. All right, bye. Okay, bye-bye.